Hey, Rockville, it's Susan Pittman, and I have some very special guests tonight. I'm in the garage with Mayor Bridget Newton and Debbie Landau, uh, my good friend from East Rockville. And we're going to interview some of the women candidates for mayor and council. We're going to interview Monique Ashton, Kate Fulton, Marissa Valeri, and Azola Shaw. I think this is going to be a terrific conversation about women in leadership and uh, we should get some really terrific insights. How's everybody doing? Mary Newton, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for being here. Debbie, how's it going? Really excited to be here. Good. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Ladies, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So let's just jump right in. This is a year where there's a lot of alignment on issues between the candidates. How do you differentiate yourself in a year where there is so much alignment on issues? And how do you do that without tearing other people down? Kate, you want to start us off? Sure. Susan, I love that question. You know, I think you're right. I'm a little bit, I'm encouraged by the fact that among the candidates, there's a lot of um, consistency and vision for Rockville. That's really encouraging for our future. But what it comes down to for distinguishing then is, a, is about approach and experience, maybe a little bit about values. Um, what, what I think I bring this distinguishing is just a, a commitment at its base to good government, to sound decision-making that I've brought with me through my career. You know, I'm, I'm sort of passionate about being dispassionate about the issues, being level-headed, uh, thinking through the big picture, and not being uh, sort of single-issue focused. And, and I love the second part of your question as well, which is how do we do it without tearing each other's down? Nobody coming to a, the job of serving in this capacity will have all of the requisite skills and capabilities coming to the table the first time, unless you're an incumbent. So what you need, and that's why it's great that it's a council. You can have different people bring different skills. You have people that have experience in government decision-making. You, you, you need people who are strong advocates. You need people who are strong subject matter experts. And if we can pull together a council that brings all of those characteristics together, I think we'll be in good shape. Ladies, what do you think? It's really funny. The The distinction between me and Kate is I think I'm passionate about being passionate. <laughs> um, and I, I think that it is those sort of like, those are the differences. But I, I would actually push back. I think there are some policy differences. Once you um, get past some of the um, gentle <laughs> political speak and you get down to the, the heart of an issue, I think that there are some differences. But in an election year, um, I think the approach by all is to be as not offensive as possible um, so as to be palatable to more people. And I think, you know, another difference, there's a lot of federal employees in this race. And, you know, I think it's really important to have that level of government experience, but also it's really important to have different levels, like local level of government experience. Like for federal government, you know, you have multi-billion dollar uh, budgets, you can dictate the timeline, you have a number of resources and staff, and that's just not Rockville at this point. Um, and so having different levels of experience is another thing that I think can distinguish some of the candidates. Well, this is Monique. Uh, I would just say these are fantastic East Rockville ladies. Thank you for having us. Um, I think that one of the key differentiators I see is in having lo looking at both of you, Susan and Deborah, that I've worked with you and I've seen your work. And I think these ladies around the table, I've seen your work. And for me, it's about looking at how do we consider the fact that it's not just showing up during election season. It's about looking at who has been around, caring for our neighborhoods, speaking out to increase outreach opportunities, speaking out to look at who is not represented and how do we get them to the table. That's what excites me about the ladies around this table, all of you, because I know that's part of your heart. And that is what governance is. We are representing people. It's not a title. It's something where we have to work to make sure that our people in this city feel like they have a voice that we're thinking about their future and the future of their children, right? It's about creating a rock for all of us. So I can I can firmly say that the ladies around this table are hardworking, um, that they are smart and talented, but that they'll roll up their sleeves, not just to win an election, but to work the entire term. 
Yeah, that really is an important part of this is just work, right? It's a lot of work. You know, Debbie and I have both been presidents of the East Rockville Civic Association, and that in itself is a lot of work, which you all at Mary Newton has been doing for the past decade. What you've been doing this last term, what everyone around this table has been doing to create a better Rockville, a better Montgomery County, um, it, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of effort and a lot of hours and that, that's put in building relationships and, and doing the work of the people. Somebody once said to me that it's one thing to run, it's another thing to serve. Mm -hmm. You stand when you're running, you sit when you serve. And by that they meant you're out there all the time when you're running, meeting people, talking about the issues. When you're serving, you're sitting there working with everybody that you're now on the team with. And I think that's something that people need to keep in mind. It's not always the bright, shiny new toy. It's the one who's actually steadfast you know, the hare and the tortoise type thing. And that was really good advice I got a long time ago. And I was just going to note that um, I appreciate you all taking the phone calls with Marion Council because sometimes it's also not just waiting for people to come to you. It's about being proactive. And I know I had Deborah on speed dial. I would come to you, uh, Susan, to say, what are you hearing? What are the issues? Oh, this is coming up on council. Do you know about it? I know you've had other candidates who said, oh, you know, Monique Ashton was my liaison. There actually isn't a council liaison for any neighborhood, (laughs) but we need to, I'm excited about this body because I think that these are the kind of people, these ladies in this room are the kind of people who are going to reach out and not just wait, right? Mm -hmm. Make sure that everyone is represented in our city and that we're thinking critically about the policy issues that impact every neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you do this? How do you make a name for yourself without tearing somebody else down? How do you do that? What language do you use? What stance do you take on things? Is there That is a problem in every election. There's always that one person who, you know, wants to control the conversation, take credit for everything, not give credit where credit is due, not even be particularly particularly respectful to the work that other people have done. So how do you not be that person? I'll be honest that this has been an uncomfortable process for me because I don't like talking about myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's endemic with women though? Is that just how we are wired that we don't use I statements? Well, the truth is that when you're on council, there isn't an I, right? Mm -hmm. You, and I will say as mayor, Mary Newton, you know, and and I hope to be mayor one day, you can't make a motion. You cannot second. And so you need to bring people along to move the city forward in a policy direction, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's, it is, it is stepping away from the I. It is how do we get this done? What is best for the city, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say that what I found on council and Mary Newton, I I did not take credit along the way on a lot of things because I found that I just quietly got things done. Mm-hmm. And I think our residents should catch you in the act of doing the work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you so know, funny. it's interesting, like the way you pose the question, something Mayor Newton said, there's a, the question, I think you were asking about how do you make a name in a campaign, which is, and a campaign is different than actually doing the job. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with what Monique said about how to, how to just fo- put your head down and do the job and get caught doing it. I love that when, if I'm lucky enough to get elected to serve in a campaign, I think um, I, it's not that hard to just only talk about, like not talk about other people, right? <laughs> like, uh, answer the question. Like, I, I have a deep commitment to like authenticity. I had someone, a mentor tell me that a long time ago in my career, like stop, never pretend to be somebody you're not. So as long as um, all of us are, are able to speak for ourselves and also where we can tell the experiences of others, I think it, it, at the council level, I think it's been a fairly civil campaign so far. I hope I hope it stays that way. Maybe it's just, I don't know. I think the, I don't know that I want to necessarily genderize. Is that a word? I'm going to make it a word. Um, but if you, I always go back to Sesame Street and the lesson of cooperation. And maybe I am of that generation, you know, and it's completely dated now, but there's not a lot of I statements on Sesame Street, you know, Oscar the Grouch is not like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, it's about everybody working toward a 
a common goal. Um, I do find it hard to have I statements, even in a campaign, because, and I find myself at the doors, um, I literally sometimes have to have a disclaimer. I'm like, I know I keep mentioning Monique, but this is how I worked with her. Or when I'm in, in East Rockville, um, like I was today, I'm like, yeah, I did a lot of stuff with Susan. It was great. We were about, you know, um, because if you have a sense of cooperation or collaboration, um, I find the I statements hard because that's not how that part of the work gets done. Yeah. And I also think a way of doing it is simply just sharing your experience, whether it's your professional experience or your lived experience. You know, what drove me to run, you know, is a mixture of both. And, you know, just share, having the opportunity to share my story and what brought me here. Um, you know, for me, I wanted a lot of things changed around housing. Um, the pandemic was a really difficult time. Um, I'm one of the only renters. And I saw a lot of things that I don't think perspectives that have been seen um, on the mayor and council level. And, you know, just sharing my story and sharing my experience, um, I think is a way of distinguishing oneself. So letting your stories speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And that takes confidence, right? That takes, you have to be secure with yourself to not make a comparison. And that's what we need in leadership. Right. I, I say this process, process is making yourself vulnerable on purpose in public. You know, it's a faith walk, but we do it because we want to stand up and serve the city. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, I just, and, and Kate has done a lot in terms of community outreach and, um, you know, part of our city. I've seen her work and her care in terms of, you know, I want to bring more people to the table. And and um, Marissa, I've worked with her on pedestrian safety before I was even elected. Uh, <laughs> we, we all sat, several of us sat in that room mm -hmm. um, standing up because people were getting hit, just trying mm -hmm. to go to work, trying mm -hmm. to go to school. And those things make you passionate about making a difference, right? And and also when she was on TCA and Zola worked with her on a lot of equity issues in the Charter Review Commission she served in. I know Marissa also served in the Charter Review Commission, but I think these people bring skill sets to the table from their professional world, but also from their civic world. And I think that's really going to help us to continue to professionalize our work on Mary Council and our, our work in the city. Uh, and I'm excited about their leadership. There's a term that came up <clears throat> when we were trying to get Amazon in the DMV, mm -hmm. and it was coined by the former chair of the COG board, Council of Governments board, and it's competition. <laughs> it's <laughs> cooperation and competition. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think it would really serve the city well and any democracy to learn that you can bring your own strengths to the team and the team work together in a co-opetition. Mm -hmm. So everybody brings their A game, but the end result is the best. And that's what we ended up doing for Amazon because everybody thought they would have the best shot. And in the end, we gave it to the COG team to see where all the pieces fell in place. And then every jurisdiction got on board and supported Arlington mm -hmm. as the final run. And, and it was just, Rising tide lifts all boats, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, if you bring your A game, you're going to do fine. You just don't always have to win the prize. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. So, Marissa, you talked about my neighborhood, East Rockville. Mm -hmm. So, I'll ha ask how how do you stay focused on the good of the city while honoring unique neighborhoods? You know, um, I I hear this question a lot. Um, People like to remind me that I'm running for an at-large council seat for now. Um, and, you know, I look at them, I'm like, yes, I'm aware. Um, but I think the lessons that I learn and continue to learn in Twinbrook are lessons and things that will improve life across the city. Um, some of these, there's a lot of commonalities. There's probably more commonalities than even I um, <laughs> expected to hear um, things like pedestrian safety, things like some of the basics of why are there 
I know Monique's going to give me a hard time. Why are there wires hanging in the middle of the road? Um, yeah, time. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, like, you, you know, stickler for the height of those wires. It's ain't. true. It's right. I mean, you should be. Exactly. But, you know, these are things that are all across the city. Um, there are a lot of commonalities. Um, but honoring the, the distinctness, right? I see the city as a giant patchwork quilt. And whereas... We are one city, but, you know, there's one blanket, there's one quilt, but there's different patches to it. And I see our neighborhoods that way. I think that the best way to honor the uniqueness is to, there's so many things I hope I get to do, but creating meaningful outreach and consistency there that is tailored to the unique way that a particular neighborhood wants to get information. There's some consistencies but, you know, meeting people where they are, um, it sounds cliched, but it's true. But where people are um, is different across the city. So I actually think I learned a lot from my neighborhood. I still learn a lot from Twinbrook. I don't think I ever will stop um, learning more and more. But um, I think there's a lot of things, a lot of uh, best practices, lessons, um, that I've learned in my time that I think would benefit the entire city. Here, this question made me laugh when I first heard it. it. In some ways it makes me think of my kids, right? You want the same for your kids. You want them all to be well and to grow and to achieve potential, but you treat them differently to get them there, right? Like my, my son needs a little bit more help remembering to, you know, change his socks. My, my daughter needs a little bit more help, um, well, she would say she doesn't need to help with anything these days. <laughs> uh, but like, <laughs> I think there is uniqueness and, and different needs um, need to be met with different solutions. But as long as we're treating the city um, fairly and all trying to get to the same common vision, I think that, you know, you, uniqueness can be accommodated in that way. Hmm. I think that um, I want to rock what every neighborhood feels equally special, mm -hmm. equally listened to, and that mm -hmm. um, we take care in terms of the way it feels to walk. Is it safe? Does it feel clean? Are we you know, doing all the things that make every neighborhood feel like it's a good quality of life? And to do that means you do have to go in those communities and see what they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. I know working with Mayor Newton um, and our council, we wanted to make sure there was equity in terms of park amenities, right? Mm -hmm. And so we put the splash pad in East Rockville. Mm -hmm. We helped to, and that was and that was listening to the community, yeah. right? What do, what does each community need? One community may say, "I need this." Another one needs something slightly different for their quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we put another pavilion in Lincoln Park. We have um, put a skate park. Uh, you know, near the swim center to accommodate young people and, you know, give them something positive to do. It's thinking about each community. And, and guess what? These are assets as a city, right? We can, we can visit any of them, but listening to the needs of that community to meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what the goal is. And when we do that, we become a better city. You know, Monique, when you say that, I was thinking about how, like, you do need to engage, like, listen and listen proactively all the time and consistently because nothing's static, yeah. right? And, and stereotypes or, or maybe generalizations about what a community needs or, or, or what makes them unique changes over time or, or, or might look a little different when you scratch the surface a little bit beyond like sort of the, the louder voices. And I think you've done a good job modeling that way of staying truly engaged, deeply engaged and, and seeing how the needs and the uniqueness of communities can change and being responsive to that. So what? Think, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, was, yeah. <laughs> I also think, um, so we're talking about like expanding the ways that we do community engagement. And I think what's important is being intentional about hearing from different communities. And I think a way in doing that is putting it as part of our process or part of our system, like regularly meeting with or, or already scheduling um, meetings in different neighborhoods. And that being um, something that we have on the agenda, um, something that I know there's the um, there's the meetings with the mayor that you have regularly, and that's really time for the community to come to you and share their their input. And I think we can do it the other way around as well, 
where we can have um, already scheduled meetings to meet with certain neighborhoods so we can put it in our, our just general process of community engagement. Yeah, and if you systemize that, then people will get to to know that. Um, and and I have to share really super quickly um, something that Monique said reminded me. So I won't name the school, but my son was in um, the Rockville uh, soccer program, and he you know went to Twinbrook Elementary, of course, and he was there. And we went to another school uh, where they had a practice field, and on the way home. He just looks at me and goes, mommy, why do they have much nicer playground equipment than we do? Kids are not dumb. <laughs> and that just, I, I wanted to cry in that moment um, because I didn't feel like there was anything I could do. But, you know, the the equity across the board and, and recognizing that doesn't only affect, you know, the adult members of the community, but kids feel it really, really deeply. One of the things you guys just reminded me of, and I hope you all get elected and I hope you make big changes, is years ago, there used to be something called a walking town meeting, mm -hmm. term for two years. And every neighborhood during that two years was visited by the walking town meeting. And that included the five members of the mayor council, the deputy and um, city manager, the deputy and city um, director of each department. It was on a Saturday and there were no ifs, ands, or buts. The date was coordinated with the neighborhood leaders, whether it was an association or you know the visit, and that was done. One of the things that we've struggled with this term is scheduling things. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, somebody always can't you know, make that work. And then we go down the rabbit hole of a doodle poll. And I hope you all mm -hmm. will just put your foot down and say, nope, we're gonna do it. We're in our term, we're gonna hit every neighborhood twice because you can do that in four years yeah. and that's a way for everyone to hear the same thing at the same time and for the mayor and council to hold the city manager responsible for implementing what what is feasible obviously I'm not talking about you know sky in the eye in the sky but the things that the directors may or may not want because one of the things that four years has given the community in Rockville is more say in how things went when it was every two years if somebody didn't like what the community wanted i'll just wait they'll be gone you know, <laughs> move on so i really hope you all at your first retreat you set those visionary mm -hmm. goals and your schedules your processes as isola's talking about and how you're going to do it how are you going to come to that consensus and make those things happen I loved the walking town meetings. Yeah. I really did enjoy yeah. that. I think that's so valuable. Um, and I was going to ask you, I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to ask you what had happened. I know there was some, there was an issue with, well, we can't do the recording and all this other stuff. So I, I hope that yeah. I'm glad it's just a scheduling issue and that that can be overcome. And it really doesn't have to be recorded, although that's nice. Yeah. But, you know, people can take notes. Mm -hmm. And that's what had, used to happen back in the old days when I was president of West End. You know, the deputy city manager was the one who took all the notes mm -hmm. by department and the department directors had their people there taking notes. And there was a lot of a lot of cross pollination. Mm -hmm. Our last walking town meeting was just a couple months ago and we did Blanford and Monroe, Blanford, and I'm going to forget. Some of us were there, right? We, we all, I think we all went. Yeah, it was the, wonderful. The <laughs> it was twin yeah. right? I was going to say a year or two ago. That easily, that, that yeah, I wanted to take you guys to Dairy Queen. I still want to go to Dairy Queen, but you know. Um, you know what I did? Yeah, I was going to say, you know what I love about the walk-in town meetings as well is, you know, I know our DPW staff went out there before us <laughs> and, uh, you know, cleaned up some things. And so it just, it, it forces a, a deeper review yes, in every neighborhood. I remember when, before I was elected, I was a cluster coordinator and uh, we used to plan these um, uh, BOE meetings, uh, Board of Education. And we decided we're going to put it in one of the schools that needed a lot of help. It was Twinbrook mm -hmm. Elementary. Mm -hmm. Before we got there, things were painted, cleaned, spruced mm -hmm. up, gardening. So yeah. it was <laughs> sometimes great. when you plan these kinds of things, it can bring more attention to that community and get more things done in preparation and after. Um, but I, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned that sort of, uh, I don't know if it's like post-election re planning retreat type situation, I find that so such an exciting possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, 
to get a, a group of people together and really make, like you said, those commitments, like set real priorities and, and make commitments to them early. Because, you know, as you know, Susan, your first question, um, there's a there's a lot of uh, similarities in what we're all talking about wanting, but to have that opportunity to sit down and, and and make the commitments to make it happen would be really exciting. And just don't have 24 priorities. I you know you know I've mentioned that a couple times, and some of them are compounds too. It's right. nice. Yeah. but you know you could have a retreat every year. Mm-hmm. So these are the most important things to get done in 24. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have another retreat and. You know, so it is the long term, but also staff can't focus on all these things yeah. and they end up cherry picking. Yeah. And yeah. really, you've got big ones that you want to get done. Yeah. Least, you know, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Yeah, right? Right. That's, that's, that's kind just... of what happened on Charter Review Commission. <laughs> I mean, there were so many things on our plate and Zola and I on it. And I just remember early on, we were like, we are only going to get to these three things, mayor and council, board of supervisors of elections and voting expansion. But that was like a very small sliver of well, it was a good list, but we would have needed a charter review commission that went for like a decade to get to all of them. There is something to be said for progress over perfection, though, right? Like, I, if you got to take a smaller chunk, as long as you can actually get it done, that's better than trying to swallow the world into a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Bridget, you've been a very successful mayor. Woo-hoo! This is a wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is why I didn't do it alone. You did, <laughs> right. And that's one of the reasons why you're successful because you have accepted help. You've collaborated with people. Um, I'll never forget getting that call. I kind of wasn't prepared to be IRCA president when I got elected. It was kind of like, oh, I was daydreaming and now everyone's staring at me. <laughs> but you called me and we went and had a sandwich and you to- told me all about it. And I felt much better equipped. That kind of personal touch is invaluable, right? It's invaluable. It gave me the confidence to come back to my neighborhood and say, let's roll up our sleeves and mm-hmm. get this stuff done. And that kind of success, we as we make progress, you know, Kate was just talking about progress over perfection. That kind of progress is, uh, that kind of success, we have to build on that. We can't forget what made Rockville the, I think what's the latest one, the 12th best place to live mm-hmm. or something like Don't that. Know. In my heart, it's number one. <laughs> it's, it's number one, it's, but it's on all these top to five, top 10 lists mm-hmm. of best places to live. And I could go on and on about sitting in my office at Hayes County uh, ISD, just south of Austin, pulling up data and information about MCPS in Rockville and telling David, I can't believe we waited so long to move to this place. So it's a wonderful place to live. And we owe a lot of that to people like Bridget. How do you all, as the next generation of leaders, how do you build on that success and move forward? How do you honor that past? How do you build on it strategically while we're moving forward? And perhaps doing things differently than they've been done in the past, because what was exactly right 10 years ago probably isn't right right now. Mm-hmm. So what, how do you do that? Monique, you want to start that off? Well, I, I will say that um, it has been a tremendous honor to serve and, I, and, and serve along with my council colleagues, serve along with community leaders like you. Uh, and I'll say Mayor Newton has done a fantastic job. I agree with you. Um, I've watched how she listens in the community. I've also watched how she leads. Sometimes you got to lead and people may not know what's coming yet, right? Um, I think one of the things I've done and I know you've done is we look at models. So before something is even percolating as an idea here, we're looking at other municipalities, we're looking at macro trends, and we're trying to see you know, how do we get out ahead of planning for the future? Because those seeds have to be started and then planted now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's it. It's like reflecting on the past, but looking at what is the future we hold, whether that's economic development and knowing that mm, things are going to get a lot more 
fierce in terms of who gets the businesses in, in your jurisdiction, right? And reaching out. And I know we've gone out and be like, we would love you in Rockville. And being that being that spirit that leads and, and analyzes and pulls best practices together. I think that is what I've seen you do. That's what I've tried to do as well. Um, I, we were just at the Maryland Municipal League this past week talking about what are the trends are happening and how do we accomplish and solve some of the challenges. And we're talking about that as municipalities all across Maryland. And we've gone to the National League of Cities and look at what people are dealing with. Some of this, you don't have to recreate the wheel. You can do more by leveraging what you know works elsewhere, but also seeing the challenges that people deal with and thinking of, I have a solution for that. And then you're bouncing ideas off. So I, I think um, it's not just a being myopic in Rockville, but it's looking at and meeting with other elected leaders and having those relationships at the county, federal, state level, other municipality level to say, I'm thinking about this, how do we get this done? And then coming and creating a plan for Rockville. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you ask about, you know, how do you build on success of the past and like sort of evolve for the future? And, and I think you're right to say they build on the success of the past. Like the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And people love living in this city. Like when, when I walk around today and knock on doors, it's I don't hear a huge outcry like as a mandate for major change in Rockville. There are certainly areas where I think there's a there's a lot of room for improvement, a lot of room for enhancement, a lot of room for change. But there's also a lot of great here. And, and you, you can't throw that out with, with some with change. Um you know, it, you remind me when you were talking about, you know, the East Rockville, I, I had a similar situation in, in my own neighborhood um, where there was there a really well-established, really well-organized, really effective neighborhood association. Um, and when I was able, when first interaction, I think we were a little weary of each other, but I was actually able to join. And I've been serving in the neighborhood association for the past several months. And it is amazing what we're all able to learn from each other. You know, there are people that have been long serving. Um, things that work incredibly well, but then able to learn like different ways of outreach. You know, we're trying to up, up our web pre- presence. Like think about different ways to engage the community and we're like bringing old and new together. I think everyone on that team is like really happy with the way it's working so far. And I think that can be a model. The model you described in East Rockville, the model of my neighborhood for how um, the next mayor and council can build on what's worked, but also change and transform and evolve. I'm so challenged by this question in so many different ways. Not because of the mayor. No, no, no. Don't look at me like that. No, but like it's a hard question. It's a hard question. And I think that um I there's definitely a different perception among different geographic areas of everything is working great versus there's some challenges, right? Um, and I'm not just saying this from my own perspective, but literally between you know, hanging out in East Rockville today and where I live, like people have a list and and I think that they're completely valid, but I think that the primarily we have to build on um, the culture of, of listening. People make the most mistakes. They do, they do not serve the people well when they don't listen to what people are saying. Um, and I think that um, we're looking at um, many generations, I, you know, Mary Newton, like there were so many generations of um, uh, ign- ignoring people. I would not put it at your feet at all. Um, and so I, I look at, I look at, um, it's been six, over 16 years um, since someone was elected from Twinbrook. Um, people really tuned out and really just kind of gave up. And um, I think it's changing, but that's, you know, it's gonna take time, but I just wanted to just flag that because I think it's definitely definitely a different perspective, um, depending. You know, and for me, I think it's about having a growth mindset. You know, the city is dynamic. You know, who we were before the pandemic is not, really who we are now. Um, There's been so many changes even within the past few years, never mind the past decade. Um, For example, you know, renters make up now 45% of the city. Um, You are, you know, very underrepresented throughout. uh, There's never been a renter uh, mayor or council person, um, as well as, you know, underrepresented on the boards and commissions. 
And also, you know, I think my answer for that question, how do we build on the, the success? One, having growth mindset. Two, building my network of past selected leaders um, on, on every level of government and even just having mentors um, and sharing experiences. Um, and I also think it's really important to always continue talking to people. I mean, we are knocking on like a gazillion doors right now <laughs> and we need to continue that type of engagement because I'm sure everyone has learned so much from community members that they've, they've talked to. And we have to continue doing that because that's going to inform our decision-making and um, that's gonna inform our policy to make sure that it's reflecting what the people need. Yeah, you know, Susan, you were talking about like the different qualities around here uh, that draw people to it. And it just reminds me with Isola mentioning knocking on doors. I have to tell this story very quickly. I knocked on a door maybe three weeks ago and there was a Texas license plate on the car in the driveway. And the, the man answered and he was in the, he was on the phone with the DMV trying to get his Maryland plates. And he said he had just moved here and I started talking to him about Rockville. He said that he and his, his family needed to move to the general DMV area. And he used like chat GPT oh. to type into it. You know, what great schools, walkability, restaurants, uh, like various other things. And of all of his criteria, the thing, the only thing that popped out, meaning all of them was Rockville. Wow. <laughs> we were, did he say where he was from in Texas? I did not ask. We know that once you said Texas, Susan was in on that. Yeah. Perking up over here. And I'll yeah. challenge you on the restaurants because we have a great saying of you can eat your way around the world. In fact, that's a good yeah. point. And I think that's true. I think maybe mm -hmm. our town center is a little bit challenged with restaurants right now, but there are great mm -hmm. restaurants in Rockville. And I think that is something we need to do a better job and um, explore Rockville. That site needs to get a little bit more press yeah. from the city yeah. so that people go to it and see that there's Expand. lots of other stuff to do. Yeah. yeah. We got to be more expansive about it too. Yeah. Wait, is this where we get to debate the best pupusa in the city? Because <laughs> I will have that debate again. <laughs> we'll save it for the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I was just going to end and say that, you know, honoring the past, but thinking about the future, you always have to think about the future and you always have to honor the past. Yeah. I don't think anyone who has been part of where we are now wants us to just stay stagnant, mm -hmm. right? I think yeah. we need to look at where do we all go together? And there's so many areas we can think, again, economic development, housing, um, you know, the environment. Are we going to be the model city? <laughs> we should be well, yeah. I, that's what i would love we i know we yeah, exactly. i think we can be and it's up to us to create that future right all of us so we now have our first composting program yahoo we, we, know, love, that. Love, <laughs> we, we had one hybrid now we have 1480 i think that we're gonna have our first renewable uh, solar you know in, in the city we don't have one we actually didn't have all LED light bulbs in our buildings and now we're moving mm -hmm. there. So that, yes, it's not like everything in the past. You have to look at, you know, what do we need to do to grow as a city, be better as a city, make it a better environment for our children, for businesses to work, for all the parts of the ecosystem to continue to grow so that we can be the destination city and be, you know, not just number 12, but be number mm -hmm. one. Right. <laughs> we might have just come up with a new tagline. Maybe we just solved the branding problem right there. <laughs> 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 you all would be the ones. <laughs> oh. Oh. And I, and I want to say to that, you know, honoring the past, to a point you honor it, but but build on it, I think is, is better yeah. um, mm -hmm. because we do, but you also have to be willing to think of new things and not, if it didn't come out of your head and mouth, that doesn't mean it's not a great idea. Mm -hmm. And I think there are people who struggle with that, which leads me to my question, which is <laughs> why is it essential to elect women leaders? Not that we don't want men, we do, but is balance necessary? Mm. So help me with that. And I'm gonna toss my question to Zola. Um, Mayor Newton, that is definitely a really great segue. Um, you know, representation matters. You know, we may have majority women right now, mayor and council, um, but look at the field of council candidates mm -hmm. and how few women there are, mm -hmm. how few women of color there are. Mm -hmm. um, that is not just coincidence. That is, you know, things playing out, power structures playing out the way that they they are meant to play out. Mm -hmm. 
And you know, representation across the board matters. We are a very diverse city. Um, and so we wanna bring different perspectives, lived experience, local knowledge, um, you know, professional knowledge, all of that to the table so that we can really represent um, our city in the best way. Um, I, I, I'm really glad that I am running with the group of women that I'm running with. Um, and I, I really, um, I've learned from a lot of the women that I've, that I'm running with. Um, but I do think it's incredibly important that as we become leaders, um, on the city level that we continue to support and back each other. That's awesome. I, I was going to say just for the record, if I win, when I win, <laughs> I would be only the fourth female mayor, right? Yeah. Six, six, six female mayor, sorry, six female mayor, but there's never been a female of color or any person of color. Right. Um, so I know Rose Carter. As a mayor. As, right, as, mayor, as a mayor, yeah. Rose Krasnow, Susan Hoffman, Mayor uh, Newton, Phyllis Marcuccio, Marcuccio and Viola Hosefian. Yeah, but think about the fact that we are not quite 200 years, but getting closer to that. Mm -hmm. And there's only been those six. Yeah. yeah. Right. Five so far, you will be six. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, exactly. that's what we're going to look for. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I, but I will say, you know, when I, when I went into city hall um, before I was elected, you look at the representation on the wall over the years. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd say representation matters um, in a, from a diversity perspective. I didn't see a lot of diversity, uh, different types of diversity. And now I think we we did create a section to honor some of the black history in Rockville that wasn't there before we did that. Um, I think the point is that you need different perspectives, right? Um, to be able to think about the community that you serve. Um, the second point I'll make is, you know, before I was elected, I was asked, how would you do this job as a working mother? My first question, well, none of the men are getting that question. Well, you were asked that by a woman, which was extremely surprising. Yes. Uh, well, and I've, and I've gotten from other places too. It wasn't yeah. the first time. Um, and I, I just said, you know, I think it makes me more qualified. <laughs> you know, I've been asked that now that you mention it. This it, it by at least more than a handful of times. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's surprising, but I the bottom line I think is that we need different perspectives and mm -hmm. um we need to think about who we are as a city and making sure that we have representation at that level because I know for myself it's not even just, you know, me as a woman, I'm intersectional, right? Like I came from a low-income community through my education, I was able to, you know, achieve what they call the American dream. But I will never forget my experiences and what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck, what it's like to not have the best schools in your neighborhood, <laughs> what it's like to feel unsafe to cross a road because, you know, you may have different things or the way your neighborhood may be different than others. Um, those are perspectives and lived experiences that we can bring to the table to understand realities. And I think a lot of times society judges people by the symptoms of their condition, but not understand all the things that contribute to that. So mm -hmm. when you have more representation, whether that's gender, SES status, um, you know, other all the things, it allows you to be able to think about different kinds of communities and how do we best serve them. Do women lead differently? <laughs> and that, that's also a tough question. Why do I always go to Margaret Thatcher when I hear questions like this? I think that I think that hey, one of the reasons I left Texas <laughs> is because they put Phyllis Schlafly that's right. in as the one woman. Phyllis Schlafly and Oprah mm -hmm. were the two women put into the uh, U.S. history curriculum as being representative of successful women. Not even Ann Richards? Not Ann. Well, she was in there as the governor of Texas. Yeah. But that was the U.S. example. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. She not Condoleezza Rice, not mm -hmm. anybody else, not Sandra Day O'Connor, no, Phyllis, Phyllis Schlafly. Schlafly. I yes. have scar tissue. <laughs> if you'd rather not, we could address it a different time. <laughs> I would say, I don't know, you know, 
I think it depends on the generations you've been through, right? Yeah. Um, early on in my career, as I was rising up um, and then mid and getting to senior level, um, I was taught like, be tough, be resilient, um, you know, lead like, you know, be more of a, a male version of a leader as a woman. And I think the pandemic really allowed us to mm. break that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you saw leaders showing you their lives as you were trying to get work done through Zoom or WebEx or whatever. And you saw how women were like, you know, and and fathers had to step up more. And and I will say that, you know, I think the gender roles have, have changed. But I, I think most mm-hmm. importantly, um, I think women have allowed ourselves to speak to our vulnerabilities and what we're dealing with more. Um, whereas in the past, it was like, don't talk about that. Just show up, get the work done. Don't bring any of that mm-hmm. other stuff to the table. And me as a professional woman, I started to say, you know what? I'm, I am going to make myself more vulnerable. I am going to tell people about what I'm dealing with because I know they're dealing with it too. And perhaps if I can show more of what we're doing, right, that they mm-hmm. could see themselves in me and know that they're not alone, mm-hmm. <laughs> So go ahead. No, I was just thinking, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I had a mentor tell me like be authentic. It's the best advice I've ever gotten in my life. Mm -hmm. And I am reminded that the story much like yours, when I, when I first started sort of moving up ranks and I started to take on this, I felt like I had to be um, official and, and like very stiff and come across. And I started taking on these, these postures. And then when I, this wonderful man said, Kate, don't do that. You got here because you are who you are. <laughs> um, that made it, that made a difference, not only in how comfortable I was in, in a leadership role, but also how effective I was in a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan, when you asked the question, I was really hesitant to say women lead differently because that feels like a really broad statement. Um, but I do think what, in listening to you talk, Monique, um, there's value in, in, in the world continuing to progress to a place where there's no expectations on women leaders, where we can all just be authentic. Um, and I think we're getting there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, great. You know, one, one of the things I'll share is at least once a day uh, when I knock on doors, people don't think that I'm Isola. They think I'm a volunteer. or um, And so I think we still have a lot of work to do to show that um, all types of women can run for office and be leaders. Yeah, well, I want to thank all the women who have served on council, mm-hmm. who have served as mayor, because you've paved the way for all of us to be good at this mm-hmm. table. Well, Phyllis was the first female mentor I ever had. Mm-hmm. I worked for two other women bosses in my career who never, ever thought that showing me the ropes was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. They were the boss and I was the employee. Yeah. And Phyllis is the first one who really treated me as an equal, even though she was the mayor and I was a council member and a brand new council member. She was the reason that I look at things through the eyes that I do. And you know, when you talk about East Rockville, the pump house mm-hmm. was Phyllis's big thing. Mm-hmm. How many years did that pump house sit there and they could never find the money in the budget? Yeah. And she finally got somebody who saw it the way she saw it. And then we got another person to see it. And it was a three to two vote to get the pump house Mm -hmm. in the budget. Mm -hmm. I think it was three to two. I should check that. But (laughs) it certainly was not an easy fight because it was always something that never rose to the top. And the minute it got done, look what it has done. Mm -hmm. I think it really has galvanized East Rockville in the sense that there is a place for meetings It's an adorable building. It's got a great story. There's a great park. And I think those are the things that you all will hopefully do and support each other. Women can also be each other's worst enemy Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of the way it's always been such a patriarchal society. I think women are constantly feeling that need to prove and, oh, I'll just, Mm -hmm. you know, take this or do this. And I know you won't do that. I know you'll work as a team. And you'll get things. Part done. of it is history, like there was only space yeah. for one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the same yeah. thing happened after desegregation with yeah. you know different diverse communities. Yeah. But there's space for all of us mm-hmm. at the table. We yeah. just sometimes need a bigger table and we did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We moved the council from four to six. Right. Um, so I'm excited about that. And since you mentioned Phyllis and then other other fantastic uh, female mayors, but I'll just say um, you know, when I first moved here, 
Phyllis was my introduction to city government. I'm <laughs> sitting in that room in the pump house. I still hear her voice and Aww. the way she shook her head. <laughs> but she, um, you know, really cared a lot about East Rockville and all of Rockville yeah. and just being engaged. You know, just whatever you think, be engaged and share your voice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's good advice for all of us. So switching to education again, what do you say to people who say that schools shouldn't be a priority because the city doesn't control the schools? Monique, I'll start with you. First, I chuckle. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be honest. So that's a broad question on so many levels. The, the bottom line is that schools are a microcosm of our community. There are thousands of families that are connected to all the schools in Rockville, and some of our some of our Rockville families go to schools that are just on the outskirts of Rockville, right? And um, if we are not engaging those communities, then we're not engaging our city, right? So mm-hmm. I'll say that as number one. <laughs> That's why I think the connectivity and the engagement, and, and on this council, we created an education commission, right? Partly to better engage with not only our public schools, but our daycare centers, our college, we have, you know, Montgomery College in the city, um, in just to to be more inclusive and to hear what are families dealing with, what are young people dealing with. So that's number one for me. The second thing I'd say is, you know, this has come up more in the context of housing versus schools, and I think that's a false choice. You must do both. You must do both well. Mm-hmm. We need good schools, and we need housing. Right? Mm-hmm. It's about how do you make it work together so we're building an infrastructure and supporting our community so that our kids have a high quality place to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about it because it was, you know, for my strong having a strong mother, but also having a school that gave me an opportunity. And where I come from, not everyone graduated mm-hmm. high school, right? And um, if we don't have high quality schools, then are we creating the next scientists? And we are an innovation hub in the city. Are we creating the next generation of innovators? Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line for me. And what does that look like? It means that we as a city need to better coordinate with MCPS so they can plan ahead. Um, going to some of the long range planning committees with MCPS as a cluster coordinator, I just, and also going through a boundary study, had seen that some of the Rockville housing projects were missing. Well, how can a school plan for who's going to come? <laughs> they don't even, are not told or don't have that information. But now as a city, we are providing more of that information in terms of the forecasting opportunities. The other aspect I would say is, um, Bridget is aware of this, Mayor Newton knows that we get calls sometimes from the principals, right? Because we have a connection with them. Mm-hmm. One recent example is, one school needed two portables and needed to get their permits expedited. And this is a matter of, do we have space for our kids to learn? And because having a relationship with that principal called right away and got that shaken loose. Um, We have another situation where some of our students are living in housing that is not quality. It's, you know, and the principal called and said, Monique, my student is going home to mold a hole in the roof uh, and the ceiling, uh, you know, different kind. I won't go into all the things, but that resident was afraid to speak out directly because we all know that there's a vulnerability. The rent could get raised or do you, will you be able to live here and do our work with the planning department to say, okay, can we've heard that there's some issues happening here. Can you check the vicinity of apartments so that not one gets singled out, right? That's the power of having a connection to our school community thinking about their experience now, but also, you know, how do we plan for the next generation of students and giving them a high quality education? Mm-hmm. It's really funny. I just realized, I didn't just realize, but I always think about the fact that the first time, um, I didn't actually meet Monique, <laughs> but the first time I experienced Monique, <laughs> I was sitting behind you um, in uh, a city hall and all I saw was this lady, it was during um, one of the many discussions where people were trying to pit education versus development. And all I remember was just seeing this lady at every single discussion about <laughs> with a laptop, just like furious. <laughs> oh my, I was like, wow, like this lady is good. Um, and that was around, I guess it was after the boundary study too. Um, I don't see how you can extricate 
um, the school network experience from the community experience of the city. I think that you're completely denying um, a way that um, people will come together. And even people who might not have a, a child in um, public school anymore, or any school anymore, they still feel that connection. Um, and especially during the pandemic, um, where I know Monique won't talk about this, but you did amazing work when you had all these, when we were in lockdown and every single kid, you know, that was on a free or reduced meal, didn't have access to food. I mean, a lot of people didn't have access to food, right? But here's a natural hub where you can get people the food that they needed at a time where everything seemed like chaotic and scary and um, toilet paper was disappearing off of shelves, let alone, you know, inflation rising. Um, I think that, you know, schools are just absolutely critical, whether you're you know, in one of our neighborhoods where like the elementary school is right in the middle and like the neighborhoods around you or your your school is farther away. I think um, it builds a, a very important structure that we can uh, kind of hang community on. Well, and I, I would say that experience was there was a school um, where some kids were very close in walking distance and other kids, it would have been a long walk for them to go pick up their meals. And mm -hmm. so again, working with a principal, we organized a food distribution site at their building. Mm -hmm. And we also got them Chromebooks at their building. And uh, I'm just so thankful for the partnership to make that happen. And then also like, you know, mayor and council can advocate, right? We can use our voices mm -hmm. to say, hello, so-and-so, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if you know this, but this is a challenge in our community. Uh, mayor and council, we're now, we're doing a letter every, at least twice a year, sometimes more but we look at the CIP needs of our students. We're also looking at the operating and, um, you know, kind of soft things that like whether it's staffing or, or things of that sort. And we have a chance to weigh in. As part of that process, we go to all the cluster coordinators and all the principals and say, what do you need help raising? Because they do have systems where they, you know, can, can go through, but sometimes it helps to have a little push. Mm -hmm. And we work with the superintendent and say, hey, we're hearing that this building needs help on security or this building needs something. We can be good partners um, and advocate to have a better experience in our community. And it's the same thing with SHA, right? We may not run state roads. I was just going to say that. We, don't, we do not run the state road. But we, if our people are dying on a state road, mm -hmm. we better speak up, right? That's, that's where the question, the question is interesting. Like, yeah, sure, sure. The city of Rockville does not have control over the schools, but you don't throw your hands up and be done. We don't do it with pedestrian safety. Mm -hmm. We don't do it with other sorts of transit issues. Yeah, we don't run the Metro, but we still have a some interest there. Mm -hmm. um, so of course it can still be a priority, even if we don't have full control over it. There, there There's power in the collective voice of the city. There's power in relationship building. There's power in... Um, engaging with the residents to, to hear make lift their voice uh, to make changes. We also, even if we don't have control directly within the schools, there's influence on our police force certainly has something to say about security within the schools. The built environment around the schools is something that we have some control over. Um, creating connections with local businesses is something that like where they can sort of learn from each other and the school can benefit. So there's a lot of ways to influence. Um, and I think as all of you said, um, the, our youth is really what we're here for, right? Mm -hmm. We're building for the future. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we would throw up our hands and have nothing to say with schools is just sort of laughable to me. Mm -hmm. Well, and if you look at it from the municipal point of view, our tax base, right? Is <laughs> that's what we're, that's what we get. So if, if you have good schools, your property values increase and I think yeah. mm -hmm. there are two I can point to right off the bat one is Bell Elementary where my children started you know when Kyle started at Bell Bell was not a popular place to be and many of the younger families who moved into West Rockville were moving out where they were putting their children in private Brookfield all of a sudden Bell got redone and it became the neighborhood um Baird Reston is the is the example most recently you know that was Hungerford Elementary and it was closed for many years and used as, you know, some other things, child care center and, and whatnot. And all of a sudden they redid Baird Ruston. The neighborhood has turned over from the original owners who were just there, but not sending their children 
And all of a sudden it's flooded with young families mm -hmm. and kids. So I, I really think we have to look at it that way. It is a partnership as you're all talking about. But if you look at it from a city of Rockville, it is key to our bottom line, yeah. you know, and our budget priorities and all of that. So. Yeah. Another, so the now people don't know this, but the city of Rockville does get involved with our schools also through linkages to learning. Yes. Mm -hmm. So for example, at Maryvale, we help to support some wraparound services for families. Mm -hmm. We also send some counseling support uh, because the school needed help. That's at Richard Montgomery. They have some at Turnbrook. It's, it's, a, it's schools all across the city where we have a partnership to go in and provide help and connecting people to services. And I think it's part of the heart of who we are. We don't say it's not our job. We say we're going to work for all of our <laughs> residents and try to, you know, make sure that we're getting um, a high quality education. And, and I will also note that I think schools are an important part of our brand as a city. People mm -hmm. move Good to way. this area. We did. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. What's the first thing yeah. people are doing? What does ChatGPT Chat, say? Chat, 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 yeah. We got this very small. We had it 10 years ago. It would have been a lot easier. Yeah. 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 With middle school was the right place for that. But yeah. yeah, one of the, um, I think one of the major influences is also in our housing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, talking to a lot of renters that received, you know, a high rent increase. Mm -hmm. Some of them moved into, instead of having a two bedroom, tried to move into one bedroom so that they can keep their kids in the school. And I think that's like the most important thing. Um, instead of being priced out and moving to another city, um, they wanna maintain, or they, they don't want any disruption to their mm -hmm. kids' um, education. And so this is where we have a tremendous amount of power in terms of keeping families in Rockville um, and and making sure that we can maintain their education. Okay. And so you make a good point. It reminds me, I, um, housing from that perspective, but also workforce housing. Um, I met I met a, a family in the Hungerford area where um, the mother was a teacher and she was she got a job at Bayard Rustin and her kids went to Bayard Rustin and she got so lucky renting. She found a house to rent near in the area, but she talked about how it's so hard to be able to teach and work in your own neighborhood. Um, so creating some of that, like either either managing their rents or creating more of that missing middle affordable housing um, also would have an impact on our schools. Yeah, we actually, um, working with the director of housing community development, we did some outreach to our police officers as well as you know, outreach to some of the school system uh, to see if teachers wanted to live in some of the new model eight prize dwelling unit program mm -hmm. opportunities. Um, and I, I think that's so important. You know, how can we do do better outreach so that our teachers don't have to drive an hour? Mm -hmm. Gosh, they have to get up so early and mm -hmm. do so much overtime work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like how can we create spaces for them? And and mayor and council also created um a homeownership program for our police officers. And, mm -hmm. and what's, it's not just for police. But, for other, but it's five for police and there's five for right. other parts of the city. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, maybe there are opportunities to look at more, even more to do with our teachers working with the county. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really and good point. Staff, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, Gaithersburg has a bank on Gaithersburg, I think it's called something mm -hmm. like that, where uh, first time home buyers can get a no cost loan mm -hmm. to come into the city and buy a home and they have to live in it for a certain amount of time so that you can't just flip it right away. But it's something I think we should do in the city as well mm -hmm. yeah. because it is expensive and, and the pandemic exponentially increased mm -hmm. the price of housing because yeah. it's a desirable, safe city. Mm -hmm. And so we have to look at that from the other angle as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. And I know we're just thinking about, um, you know, high school and under, but also um, there are professors in, you know, Montgomery College that are also struggling mm -hmm. to pay rent mm -hmm. um, and affordable housing is another issue in which, you know, we can make sure that our teachers are continuing to live here and mm -hmm. our educators are here. Yeah, I think that's an important point often missing in these discussions is Montgomery College um, and how important it is um, growing up in the county. I attended Montgomery College, my dad attended Montgomery College, my husband, like, it's just, it's kind of part of, um, you know, how you can get some of your basic credits, it's extremely affordable, and then you can go on to whatever you want to do, but um, Montgomery College is great, um, especially if you're a non-traditional student, 
um, and you're going back to school and, you know, um, I've been there, done that. Um, and if it wasn't for Montgomery College um, and in general, the University of Maryland system, go Terps. Um, I don't I don't know how I would have been able to go back to school. Yeah, there are about 17,000 students. Mm-hmm. I know it was 15 at once, but it just yeah. it just looked at it grew. Yeah, <laughs> I met a resident the other day who was telling me he has this great vision of Rockville being a college town. And when he first said it to me, I'm like, say more. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But he talked about, you know, how you can find the, some like more housing. Like if, if we can get those students, what would you say? 15, how many? 17,000. What if we had affordable places for them to live here? What if we had pipelines of the types of jobs and occupations so that they could stay here more when they're done? I I was really intrigued by this whole idea of thinking about building um, around our large community of college students that we have here. I I I just want to make a plug because I know Dr. McKnight would want this, but (laughs) um, our high school students can now get their associate's degree. Yeah. in high school yes. in yeah. high school because of the partnership sure. with so cool. that will save a lot of people so much money yeah. so. they always do the fun stuff after you leave school <laughs> <laughs> the former city manager and I had a lot of fun trying to and we did um, develop relationships with the leadership at Montgomery College mm-hmm. for yes. town and gown mm-hmm. and trying to find more ways that we can support the students in making town center more accessible mm-hmm. with transit yep. options for them, um, bike walks so that they're not just on Rockwell Pike, which is mm-hmm. a hot mess and, awesome. and doing a lot of things. And so there's a lot of good work that's already been done there. Mm-hmm. Back to one of the questions about recreating and continuing on, there's a lot of stuff that you guys can continue with that to, to make that possible. Definitely. Well, thank you all so much. What a wonderful conversation uh, with some fantastic women leaders here in Rockville. We're just, we're very lucky to have all of you and we wish you the best of luck. Debbie, Bridget, thank you so much for, uh, for helping out with this uh, group interview. We really appreciate it. All right, everybody. And last word, Monique. Get out and vote. Get out and vote. vote matters. Yes. I forgot <laughs> to ask the most important question. Where's it? Where y'all been eating lately? Anybody eating out someplace good? I eat everywhere, but it's all in Rockville. Oh, oh, that is an election year answer. It's not, it's not, Bridget, nope. can tell you. No, no. My husband, he's like, Mom, when he, can we go? I was like, is it in Rockville? Yeah, we'll tell me. That's one reason why my husband is glad I'm not running again. I will say that a few weeks ago, we were, uh, Jamie and I were interviewing, I can't remember who it was, with Matt Perkins, and they had both eaten at Hello Vietnam in Twin Brook. (laughs) It is so good. I felt very left out because they had been there. And so Dave and I went, it was delicious. Hello Vietnam. Oh, tell me this time. Well, I actually went to, was it Wan Fu? It's a... um, a kind oh, of a vegan place. No, oh, you can get. It's really you good. ask for coconut water, they'll give you a whole coconut. Yeah, it's just so, there's so many like this big restaurants. Like we were at Tower Oaks, beautiful. There were a lot of homecoming students there, mm-hmm. uh, and small ones that are like Fiziko mm-hmm. or Wan yeah. that just gems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we have a lot to offer. The other place, the other is the um, oh, what is the Middle Eastern market? Gourmet Bazaar, mm-hmm. also on the pipe. Mm-hmm. They have a I've deli. And if you go amazing. to the back corner in the deli, they have hot lunch. And they also have like some really interesting like Mediterranean and Middle Eastern subs and things like that. Really the last Very. thing I'll say is that actually some of our restaurants are getting into performance and game and games. I know there's a place on the pike where they do games at night. Oh, And then there's also like El Marquette's doing Flamenco Tuesdays. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, Cumbia has had bands come in yeah. mm-hmm. and Echo House has had like live live music playing on Friday and Saturday night. So. I think yeah. Flamenco Tuesday could be a campaign event. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much and good luck to you. And don't forget to go and vote. <laughs>